Good evening and welcome to Business Unusual. I'm Annalisa Duban. This evening we will be focusing on the insurance and pensions industry. Now there's always need to have a contingency plan if we lose our valuables and there's always need for a retirement plan and the Insurance and Pensions Commission ensures that this happens. And to explore this further, I have the head of the Insurance and Pensions uh, Commission, Commissioner Grace Muradzikwa. Thank you so much for making time to chat with us this evening. Good evening, Mona Lisa, and thank you for having me. All right, so just to put a conversation in, in context, uh, walk us through what um, the role of IPEC is. Okay, so the Insurance and Pensions Commission, we are the regulator for the pensions and insurance industry. We not only register um, the pension funds and insurance companies, we regulate them, we supervise them, we monitor their activities. And um, also, um, most important is we do deregister um, mm -hmm. the same. All right. So maybe we know that the National Social Security also has a similar responsibility. Uh, what's the difference between um, IPEC and NASA? Do you work together? Do they fall under you? Just explain that. Okay. Um, so we regulate what are called private occupational pension funds. So we do not regulate NASA. NASA is um, some sort of pension fund, but what we regulate, the entities which come under our purview are the private occupational pension funds. Mm -hmm. So when you say you regulate, are you the ones that determine how much money should be payable for a pension, how much money should be payout, uh, payout for insurance, etc.? No, mm -hmm. we do not do that. So um, private occupational funds, these are pension funds uh, which have been set up, established by employers for the benefit of their employees. And uh, based on the pension fund rules, they will decide uh, the contribution levels. They will also decide, you know, on the benefit structures. And what we've seen um, in Zimbabwe right now is that uh, most pension funds are what are called uh, defined contribution pension funds. Um, basically, it means what you put is what you get, right. you know, depending on the investment structure, you know, of those pension funds. Um, then you have what are called defined benefit pension funds. Um, in the past, the majority of pension funds were defined benefit. What those would basically do is that uh, you know what you are going to get at your retirement. But with defined contributions, it's what you put determines what you get. So we have defined benefit pension funds, we have defined contribution pension funds. And like I said, the pension fund rules determine the contribution levels and this also in a way determine the benefit payouts. So how would you describe the current state of that sector when you're talking about insurance as well as pensions? Um, the sector is very vibrant and uh, the sector has also demonstrated a lot of resilience. Um, we can see, I think, from the numbers, um, you know, as a December, the industry, you know, was growing. And when I say growing, I'm talking about real growth, having discounted for inflation. Um, in terms of numbers, the industry wrote close to 50 billion, you know, worth of business. And uh, this is compared to about 18.5 billion, you know, and which was a nominal growth of about 82.5% and real growth of 6%. And um, what we've also noticed is that uh, for the short-term sector, about 50% of the business they are writing now is hard currencies, US dollar business. Um, the assets of the industry also grew, um, you know, in real terms. And here I'm talking about assets for the short term. I'm also talking about the assets, you know, for the pension uh, sector. Um, we also noticed a growth in the actual number of pension funds. You know, so when the pension funds themselves are growing, it actually 
actually means that we've got new employers, you know, who are putting uh, in place, you know, pension schemes, you know, for their members. And um, that number grew um, from about 967 to about 985. And um, consequently, also the number of pension scheme members also increased. Mm -hmm. So I think when you look at those numbers, uh, those variables, you can see that there is growth, um, despite a very difficult operating environment. So when you talk of the growth, does it mean that we have more people now that are uh, going for their pensions and their insurance? And what percentage is that when you're looking at the Zimbabwean population? Because the last figures we uh, we saw on IPEC, it was hovering around at 3.5%. Has there been an improvement in that? Mm. And what are the new statistics? Mm. Okay, so yes, um, you know, especially when we um, are assessing, you know, the strides that we're making around financial inclusion, it's important for us to also measure what we call the pension coverage ratio. You know, what percentage of the working population is actually being covered, you know, by pension schemes. So I think one of the things that we have noticed is you normally talk about private occupational pension schemes. You know, you talk about that ratio of 3%. But when you now include NASA, because it's a pension scheme, right? you know, then that number goes up significantly, you know. So I think... But do your numbers consolidate what you are looking at the private sector and what NASA is uh, no, looking at. No, the numbers don't consolidate. This is why I said, I think when you just look at the numbers that are in the IPEC report, that is misleading. You know, that actually does not tell you the full story in terms of the pension coverage ratio. Because you do have some uh, members who do not have a private occupational pension fund, but who are covered by NASA. Right. So, we are talking about an integrated social protection framework. And the reason why we've been advocating for this is that, you know, from an employee, you have got the first layer of cover, which is the NASA. Right. You know, and then you, in addition to NASA, you are also taking uh, the private occupational scheme. And then in addition, you've got some members who have got voluntary. Um, you know, pension schemes such that you've got three layers, you know, of cover. But uh, strictly speaking, I am of the view that when we are measuring pension coverage ratio, I think let's look at NASA consolidated numbers, you know, in the private occupational pension scheme. Where do we and, get those and, numbers? Well, we can uh, provide those numbers for you. We mm -hmm. do compute, but we don't want to put them in our reports because strictly speaking, our report is a report, you know, just for the private occupational pension funds. Right. But I think at the national level, those numbers, I believe they are almost hovering at about 20%, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. So the 3% is a, is a very low number because we are just speaking about the private occupational pension funds. Okay, so we hope that uh, your plans to have this consolidated will actually uh, give the correct picture of what the, the sector is about. Now, I know that we have spoken about um, the consolidation as well. We spoke about around 20% and you as IPEG are talking about 3.5%. To what extent would you say uh, the confidence factor has come into people actually contributing towards their insurance and their pensions uh, considering what has happened in previous years? Yes. So, you know, the issue of uh, confidence uh, is this is one issue that we are currently seized with, uh, not just as a regulator, but obviously the entire industry, because it's speaking to the survivor of the industry. If there's no confidence in our business, it means that the industry is not sustainable. So it's an issue that um, we are we are seized with. And um, what I can say is that uh, confidence building, it's, um, it's, it's, it's something that is a work in progress. It's, a, it's, a, it's not something that happens overnight. And um, we have uh, put in place a number of measures to restore confidence in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most notable is that uh, we are working on improving 
improving the level of pension benefits because this is the root cause of the loss of confidence in the sector. You know, people are looking at their pension benefits and they're asking themselves, look, I've been contributing for 20 years. Does this reflect? But does that not go back to like um, inflationary pressures, especially if we look at 2009, 2018, where there was hyperinflation in Zimbabwe? So, of course, as a commission, you can put in measures to say, okay, what would be reasonable mm. to to pay out to someone? Mm. But when you look at what they would have, like you said, contributed mm. towards in 20 years, mm. does that really equate considering the state of, say, the local currency? Yes. So I was coming to that. And um, I, I think you see, as I explained some of the measures, we, the measures we're putting in place, we're actually trying to address, you know, that problem. Um, so the root cause is because people are looking at these low levels of pension benefits, which do not reflect the contributions that they've put. Right. So you have to see value in a product for you to want to invest in that product. So what we have done, um, in the first instance, we addressed the 2019 currency reforms. You remember when we came in and we said one US dollar is equal to one dollar. So, you know, pensioners were getting, let's say, 300 US dollars. They started receiving 300 US dollars. You know, and that definitely destroyed confidence, you know, in pensions. So what we did around that is we issued a guidance paper to the industry. And basically what this guidance paper sought to do is to ensure that there is a redistribution of revaluation gains, you know, to pension scheme members. And this has happened. Mm. And so as a result of that guidance paper, we've seen improvements in pension benefits of as high as 800%. And um, what we are now working on is the pre-2009 compensation. And uh, I know I, I hardly can go to an interview and people do I was not actually ask, going to ask yes, you, like, yes, what's yes. the update? So, so I'm going to preempt you on that. So before you even <laughs> you talk hit, about you that. You beat me to it. Yes, because I know, I know, I know, you know, every pensioner that I meet, you know, they are complaining, you know, Commissioner, where are we with this Justice Smith Commission, you know, compensation and so on. Mm -hmm. And I have said, and I want to repeat it, that we are at the tail end of this. It has taken us uh, a long time, a undesirable long time, uh, but we are now at the tail end of um, uh, ad ad addressing the pre-2009 compensation. Uh, we are now at regulation stage, and um, so the regulations are going through the various levels of approvals. Um, but let me hasten, you know, to say that when we talk about compensation, I know there are a lot of expectations. Uh, people are expecting justified, to though. Yes, justified. Yes, yes. And uh, remember, I'm also right uh, at, you know, I'm entering uh, retirement. So, you know, this is actually a, a subject which is very close to my heart as well. And I think the president has got the right person there to be championing uh, the pensioners' cause, you know, because, you know, I can relate. And, uh, and I know when pensioners, you know, are complaining, when they're expressing their concerns, you know, I can actually relate, you know, with what they are saying. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying that. We are talking about compensation and under normal circumstances when someone is expecting compensation, they want to be put where they were before the loss. Right. So the expectation is that, look, I'm going to be able to get what is... A, I gave 300 what US I dollars. Gave, yes. I would want 300 US dollars yes, or the yes, equivalent. Yes, yes, at, yes, I'm sure the yes. rate can be debatable. Yes. So, um, Mona Lisa, uh, you were talking about hyperinflation and so on. You know, what we've also done is to do an evaluation of surviving assets. There is no doubt every 
everybody knows that we went through episodes of hyperinflation, right? right? So, and when you have episodes of hyperinflation, they also result in value erosion, you know? So we've got certain assets, you know, which obviously disappeared as a result of hyperinflation, especially the monetary assets. So we have gone through a process of assessing surviving assets, and we are going to be using surviving assets to compensate. So it will not be what it should be but there will be some form of compensation so let me just speak to three other issues because your question was what are we doing to restore confidence and i said restoration of confidence is going to center around making sure that we give reasonable pension benefits that's as far as it relates to pensioners right we have also now allowed um, you know um, uh, members to actually contribute in u.s dollars even for the short-term industry now you know we engaged government and government allowed the industry to start writing u.s dollar business so again speaking to value preservation so you pay your premium in u.s dollars you can at least now be assured that your claim will also be paid in u.s dollars right we've also in uh, allowed what about those that don't earn u.s dollars yes so those who do not earn u.s dollars what it is calling for is constant revaluation of assets you need to make sure that if you go you insure your car for a, let's say a million rtgs you know in an inflationary environment that a million rtgs will not be able to buy you the same type of vehicle if you do not constantly revalue it so look it's calling for some administrative work because you know you sounds like a lot of work. yes it is a lot of work it is a lot of work um obviously i think what one would be uh, asking for what is the res- desirable is to have stability in our economy right. such that you know you do not necessarily have to be going back and revaluing your assets and so on. And we are aware, we can see the measures that government is putting in place right. to, to bring stability and uh, we can only hope that I think this succeeds and we return to normalcy. This is Business Unusual. I'm Mona Lisa Dube. I'm joined by Commissioner Grace Muradzikwa, who is the head of the Insurance and Pensions uh, Commission and we're talking all things insurance, all things pensions. Now, Commissioner, I know that you spoke about how uh, you are working towards compensation people who lost their monies, their savings during the 20, uh, 2009 hyperinflation era as well as the 2019 era. And um, recently in, in Zimbabwe right now, when you're talking about the economy, there have been recent shocks uh, mm. to the market, to the local currency. Mm. I know right now the power of market is ranging, I think, around 450 mm. uh, against the US dollar. Mm. So if someone is hearing you now saying that, okay, we are working towards compensation but compensation would not be what it was but it's Mm. some sort of value just to say Mm. hey we know that you lost something and this is a way of paying back Mm. how then do you think they can perceive that do you think that they are willing to continue to insure their assets or to actually invest in their pensions with the private sector Mm. So I I think so, uh, Mona Lisa. I think that's a that's a difficult one, and uh, I think I was uh, the first to admit that the compensation that our pensioners are going to get will not equal what they should have uh, received. But it's some compensation, and what I'm hoping is that uh, you know the pensioners will appreciate the efforts that we are putting in place. You no, know, but it's their money. It is their money, but there were also periods of hyperinflation, you know, which have and, and resulting in loss of value. 
I think we must accept that. Mm-hmm. And so our focus is going to be on the surviving assets and we would like them to be able to get what is due to them. Right. right? What is due to them, they should be able to get. I also uh, did not speak to the Kovimba Mining uh, dividend, you know, because government has also um, played their part, I think, around the 2019 uh, currency changes where government is actually given us an asset, you know, 5% of the uh, Kovimba Mine. And uh, uh, as a result of that, we received our first tranche uh, uh, of dividend, uh, the US 400,000. And we have been in the process of disbursing. The good thing about this one is that it's actually coming in hard currency. So the pensioners are collecting uh, US $100 in cash. You know, so, uh, and again, I'm saying that it's not necessarily uh, adequate, but uh, I'm hoping that at least I think there's an appreciation of the efforts, you know, that are underway uh, to make sure that at least uh, we restore some value. Mm-hmm. And um, pensioners, we know that they are struggling uh, and we would like at least pensioners to be able to get uh, amounts, you know, that enable them at least to be able to buy a basket of groceries and so on. Right. But back to what is currently happening now, mm-hmm. uh, obviously we don't want to say, oh, it's it's going back to 2019 or 2009. Mm-hmm. But I know the statements that have been uh, released by the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe, they have actually actually admitted that it's also because people are uncomfortable because they are still remembering what happened mm. in yesteryears. Mm. So my question was then how does someone get that assurance that in future mm. this mm. will I will still have that preservation of mm. the savings that I put in. Okay, so we are also putting in place a number of measures, you know, just uh, to make sure that there's value preservation. I've already talked about the dispensation that we gave to allow those who can contribute in U.S. dollars to be paid their benefits in U.S. dollars. Right. So that one you are saying, you contribute in U.S. dollars, you'll be able to pay it, you know, in U.S. dollars. So speaking again, I think to value, to value preservation. And I, I heard you, you know, when you said about what percentage of people are being paid in U.S. dollars, you know, and so right. on. For those who are still being paid in RTGS. You know, we are conducting trustees training. You know, like I said, the bulk of the pension funds right now are now defined contribution schemes. When you have a defined contribution scheme, it's absolutely important to make sure that we've got trustees, you know, who are aware of their fiduciary responsibility and they are aware of the need to make sure that the contributions which are being made by members, they are being properly invested so as to preserve value. So we are in the process of conducting trainees, um, tra- uh, training for trustees. We have uh, uh, improved the fit and proper uh, property for trustees so that uh, we do not allow you to be a trustee on a pension fund. You know, when, for instance, you do not even have the basic training, which we are calling a certificate of proficiency, you know, for trainees. And during that training, we make sure that you are taken through, you know, the your obligations, your responsibilities, the expectations, you know, that we have, you know, as a trustee of a pension fund. Um, in addition to that, you know, one of the reasons that, um, uh, we, you know, we have seen also resulting in a lot of value, loss of value is that you are finding that there are employers who are not remitting contributions. You know, they deduct from the employee, they do not remit. And an employee res- uh, retires only to find that the employer was not remitting. And there's nothing which is there. And they come to the commission, they complain, we investigate, and we find out that mm-hmm. employers were not contributing. And um, if you've been watching developments in Parliament, you also have noticed that, you know, the uh, Pensions and Provident Fund Bill, you know, which has recently passed through Senate and which is just awaiting presidential assent. Yes. yes. It actually allows the commission to garnish employers. 
So we will now have the power to garnish those employers who are not remitting contributions. So again, speaking to but value. before it gets to that, as an yeah. employee, how yeah. do I know if my employer is actually uh, contributing towards my pension fund? So that's why I talked about trustees. You know, trustees, you've got employer trustees. You've got employee trustees. So it's like a works council. You know, at a works council, you've got employer representatives and employee representatives. The employee representatives, they need to know why they're sitting on that table. Their role is to protect the interest of pension scheme members and policyholders. So surely if you are a trustee, you are sitting on a board, you know that an employer is not remitting and you are quiet. Right. It actually means that you are not fit to be there. You know, this is why we are conducting this training. You know, we also issued um, what uh, we are calling an expenses framework. We also realized that one of the reasons, you know, contributing, I think, to value erosion was the structure of expenses which were being levied on pension funds, right, by various service providers. Um, and I, you know, I don't necessarily need to go into the service providers, but we've got a lot of service providers, you know, who are living off pension funds. And the question we've been asking is, if you're a service provider and you are fat, but your client who is the pension scheme member is uh, starving, you know, is going through starvation. Right. So are you really adding value, you know, to that pension uh, fund? So we have now put a cap on expenses that can be levied, you know, on a pension fund. And I know there's an outcry in the market, you know, over this. And um, it's, it's a conversation, yes, that we are having with various um, the service providers. But we are very clear in our minds that uh, this is an area that we will need to keep, you know, so as to preserve value. Maybe lastly, let me talk about... Uh, the dispensation that we've also made, you know, we have now allowed pension funds to also invest offshore, right? This is something new. And um, so pension funds will now be able to put in place a structure, you know, of their investments. Remember, I talked about defined contribution. Right. You, we need to pay attention to where our funds are invested as pension scheme members. So now pension funds can invest offshore. So you will no longer have the excuse of saying, oh, no, 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 because all the monies were invested in Zimbabwe and uh, there was a hyperinflation value erosion. We also expect you as a pension uh, a fund trustee to be an astute investment uh, manager so that you make sure that the structure, you know, of um, the contributions that you are receiving, you know, are properly invested. Mm. I, I think these are just a few, but I tell you, we've been very busy at the commission uh, working, I think, on the necessary frameworks uh, and structures to make sure that uh, we restore confidence, you know, we preserve values, you know, for the pension scheme members. And it's work that we're doing in the background, but which will result really in um, better pension um, benefits for pensioners. Now, you spoke about, uh, I think this goes on to the con uh, the conversation we are having earlier about how, you know, some employees are not actually contributing, employers rather, are not contributing to the funds of uh, of the employees. And I know that recently you build in an X approximately 40% of pension funds uh, in the country. When we talk about figures, it's about from 985, I think uh, you've ordered about over 300 to be stopped. Mm -hmm. Why what made you make such a drastic move? Yes. So, Mona Lisa, um, thank you very much for that. Um, what we were seeing is that we had pension funds which were inactive. We had pension funds which were not sound, financially sound. But uh, these pension funds just continue to exist. So what happens is when you have got a pension fund which is not financially sound, you have got, you remember the expenses that I talked about, the service providers continue to levy 
There right. is. You know, on a pension fund, which is not sound, and some service providers will continue to leave their fees on a pension fund, which is inactive. So you have a pension fund where you're not getting new contributions. But it's um, let me give you an analogy. It's like you've got a, a bank account, right? Where you've got no new money, you're not making any new deposits. But on a monthly basis, the bank is putting through charges, right? For maintaining a bank account. What happens? After a period, there will be zero balance, isn't it? Minus even. It can even go to minus. So, you know, this is what we're trying to avoid. We are saying these pension funds, you know, from our analysis, they are either financially unsound or they are such that you either have to close them and distribute, you know, distribute the assets to the owners. We have also given options. Some of them we are saying they can go into what we're calling umbrella funds. Mm -hmm. So you have a number of pension funds coming together. You know, so that you know they come under one administrator and they can have scale economies coming from having one administrator and sharing on costs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, really, this is what motivates. But does it us. not speak to your regulations in terms of people actually registering these insurances and these pension funds? Not really, not really. I think we are very clear, you know, on our registrations, you know, when you can register a pension fund. And by the time we register a pension fund, you know, it would have gone through all our tests and it would have met, you know, our tests and it becomes eligible, I think, to be registered as a pension fund. You know, what is what goes on after that? And some of these pension funds where we have actually exed now or, you know, we've given notice, um, some of them, are, they are very old, you know, pension funds very very old pension funds um and maybe we were just not paying attention you know uh, to them yeah. uh, as i said because there are costs which are being levied you know on these pension funds and at the end of the day you know you'll find that all whatever is in those funds will go towards cost and there will really be nothing you know for the owners of those funds this is business unusual we're talking insurance and pensions with commissioner grace muradzikwa from the insurance and pensions commission now one of the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected mm. a lot of industries and I know that your sector has not been an, an exception. To what extent mm. has this derailed your plans? Uh, I know that because you have been on the record talking about compensation. So mm. I'm assuming that the COVID-19 pandemic has also had an effect on when you were going mm. to do that. Can you tell us about mm. to what extent this has been and how you are recovering right now? Mm. So um, the COVID-19 pandemic, I um, I think presented a lot of challenges, not only for our sector, but I think for the economy as a whole. But let me, I always like to look for the silver lining, you know, uh, so we don't talk about just the negatives and so on. There were also positives, you know, from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the industry was able to leapfrog in terms of technology. You know, our industry is one industry which used to shy uh, technology. You know, we like the in-person interactions. You have to walk into our offices, you know, to complete forms and so on. We, we, it's an industry which likes uh, forms. But um, at least COVID-19, it made the industry re-envision from the onboarding process, you know, of clients, you were now able to onboard without necessarily walking physically into an office. 
you were able to have your claims settled without necessarily walking into an office. So I think in terms of embracing technology, we really saw the industry embracing technology. We also the industry, um, you know, maybe just looking at the uh, reviewing their products to make sure that they were aligning with the new reality, you know, of COVID-19. For instance, when you look at motor insurance, you are looking at limited mileage policies. You know, you've got a car which is maybe you're working from home, uh, sitting in your driveway, you know, it's not on the road all the time. So why should you pay, you know, the kind of premium that you were paying when you were uh, commuting to and fro to the office all the time? So at least we saw some innovations, you know, coming in, uh, some innovations even around uh, insurance, in, in, around pensions uh, and so on, which we really welcomed. Even at the commission, you know, we're able to uh, carry on with our mandate without uh, physical interactions, you know. We, but didn't that increase uh, the risk of fraud, etc.? Yes. So I'm coming to that. So I said I'll start with the positives. <laughs> and so, you know, I, 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 I like to, to highlight the positives. So, yes, and there were also a lot of negatives. You have increased uh, use in technology. There's also the risk of cybersecurity, you know. So we had to make sure that, uh, you know, we also tighten on our data protection, you know, and covers. But, you know, the positive is also that cybersecurity insurance is available. So this was a new line of business also for insurance companies in the past you know the demand for cyber security insurance was not that high right but because of covid it went high but let me speak also about funeral you know covid19 really tested our funeral sector you know but i'm really really pleased you know with the performance of the funeral sector they were able to uh, meet all the covid19 um, uh, related deaths they were able to bury you know give dignified burials you know to even you know our relatives and friends who succumbed to covid19 the life insurance sector as well you know they had some death claims we did not have any challenges we did not receive any complaints at all you know from the life insurance so they they were able to meet all the claims. This is why I said the industry demonstrated resilience, mm -hmm. really good resilience. And then we also noticed that, um, you know, just in the industry, a lot of companies scaled down on the operations, you know, so that's also a negative. You know, there were retrenchments in the sector. You know, we were being advised of uh, scaling down, you know, uh, quite a lot of our regulated entities. And, you know, it also translates to reductions in premiums you know, and contribution levels, you know, and payouts, you know, for retrenchment packages, you know, and so on. Is companies. Because people were not working. Yes, people were not working. Uh, but there's also been a new opportunity that we've seen. Uh, now we have the same people were retrenched. They started their own businesses. People are involved in all sorts of, uh, you know, businesses. And there's an opportunity there for what we are calling pensions for non-standard workers, you know, for uh, people to come up with micro pensions, you know, speaking to the informal sector you know our economy is now very much informal you know and so there's an opportunity there you know for uh, the pension sector to structure and come up you know with a, a, a different model you know of pension schemes um you know i feel that for as long as there is a risk there is business for the insurance industry. There are always people like you and I, you know, who do not like to assume risk, who want to transfer risk. So, and for as long as risk exists, and risk will always exist, there will be an opportunity for 
for for the industry so um yes i think covid uh, came and we are hoping it has gone for all good you know i, I worry when we are approaching winter we feel we'll it is here resurging yes. in china <laughs> yes yes we we certainly do not want that right. uh, yeah we certainly do not want that but uh, there were learnings for the industry yes and uh, uh, we were hit as an industry but i'm pleased that i think we came out of it uh, even stronger but that shouldn't there assessment. be a policy by now for catering for those in the informal sector because our country has been informal for a while now yeah yeah definitely this is why i said uh, you know uh, for the innovative uh, insurer and uh, their opportunities uh, coming out um, you know we with the informal sector is there and the informal sector is also carrying risk so there are opportunities for us to come up with products i think that also speak to the informal sector so for me i think the informal sector is looking for digestible insurance products they are, they want maybe a dollar premium per month type of you know a policy a 10 dollar 10 dollars per month type of policy a something like that um yeah and, and I think uh, those opportunities are there. Uh, the other thing, uh, Mona Lisa, before we leave this uh, uh, topic that I wanted to speak to is that uh, obviously I think with the retrenchments, uh, with the slowdown in economic activity and so on, we also saw policyholders struggling, you know, to maintain their premiums. And so we had uh, high levels of policy lapses, you know, as a result of, um, you know, the failure um, to maintain uh, uh, certain levels of premiums. And this is why I said also where you had opportunities to actually reduce your covers i think you saw at least that maintenance of policy covers so i think a wide range of um yeah so let, let's there. let's look mm. at the future of yes. the insurance sector mm. and the pension sector and i know you briefly talked about uh the mm. pension and provident funds bill which is waiting mm. for uh the president to ascend right in this mm. pass through parliament how is this going to improve uh, mm. your 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 business how is it going to improve or change your operations as a commission okay so the future of insurance i'm very positive about the future insurance i've already said that uh, for as long as there's risk there's insurance okay and there'll always be risk the other thing that i also want you to be aware of is that there's a very close positive correlation between insurance and economic development so you know when you think about risk and you think about protection of assets you need to accumulate assets before you can think about protecting and it when you see people who are putting razor wires and so on everybody wants to know what is inside you know you can't think of putting razor wires and alarms and so on when all you have inside you know is a bed right yes so um, risk economic development insurance you know goes hand in hand and this is why i'm saying that i see uh, that the future is positive you know for insurance i think with all the measures that government is taking you know to make sure that we there is stability in our economy that there is growth you know when you look at i think all the initiatives and measures around the nds one you know there has to be growth in this country and when there is growth there is going to be growth in insurance business but Having said that, I also think that the future of insurance will be hinged on the development of innovative insurance products. It cannot continue to be business as usual, you know, for our sector. And in our market development conversations, you know, with the industry, we're encouraging the industry to develop creative, innovative products that are speaking to customer needs. And I think when that happens, then there will be growth, you know, in the industry. And of course, like I said, economic stability. 
and we are really praying and hoping that the measures that government is putting in place will result in economic stability for for our country now we did put out uh, on our social media that we're going to be having you in the program so we also got a couple of questions from from social media uh, and then uh, someone here says that just here I think you have um, briefly answered it is when exactly should people that lost their monies expect to be compensated mm, that question always comes up uh, Mona Lisa so like I said we had regulation stage Okay, and unfortunately, um, you know, um, I've uh, become aware that uh, when you talk about regulation, there are layers of approvals, like I've said. You know, it goes through our ministry, our parent ministry, ministry of finance, it goes to the attorney general's office, you know, before we gazette, you know, regulations. Right. And I'm hoping that, and I I did uh, promise that uh, we are certainly hoping that by the end of June, I think this exercise would have been completed. So I'm still wanting to commit of the year no no i initially last year i committed to end of march right and i came back and i communicated that we are now looking at end of june i actually gave an update Mm -hmm. and what i did communicate is that you know we were looking at two episodes of loss of value mona lisa we're the 2019 right and we're the pre-2009 right and then we had an exercise that we've been uh, uh, undertaking within the commission with the industry which is called asset separation um allow me a minute to talk about this exercise because this exercise we were mandating all insurance companies to separate assets the assets that belong to policyholders and the assets that belong to shareholders this was a condition precedent to us dealing with pre-2009 compensation because we wanted to know you remember i talked about surviving assets we want to know what are we sitting on in terms of assets that belong to policyholders and pension scheme members before you can now talk about redistribution. So in a way, perhaps we underestimated the workload effort, you know, that was required for us to carry out all these processes to actual compensation. And uh, I'm aware that I did come back and I shared that whereas we had initially committed to end of March, now looking at the processes that we had to undertake to compensating, you know, we extended uh, that commitment to end of June. So what is happening end of June? You're completing the regulation stages or you're giving the payouts end of June? All right. So that's another correction that I need to make, Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. IPEC does not pay out. Okay. Yeah. I have uh, this uh, time and time when we are being told, oh, Commissioner, when are you paying? We are a regulator. Our role is to provide guidance to the industry on how to pay. Okay. So, and this is the guidance that was missing. So, we are going to be providing guidance to the industry on how they are going to pay. So, if you had a policy with Old Mutual, your compensation will come from Old Mutual. Oh, so, you are expecting that by end of June, yes. you would have completed all that that needs yes, to be done. Yes. And the assumption is, as soon as that is done, end of June into July. Yes. All these people should be getting yes. their compensation from from their service providers. Right. So if it is a pension fund that you belong to, that is where you go to be compensated. If it is a, a an insurance company, that is where you go to be compensated. But we will have provided the necessary guidance. 
Dr. Grace Maradzikwa, Commissioner of the Insurance and Pensions Commission, thank you so much for your time this evening to talk about, which I know is a very hard topic, especially looking at uh, the state of uh, the environment that we are really living in right now in Zimbabwe. And that concludes this episode of Business Unusual. I'm Monalisa Dube, and this episode will be up on our podcast on ZFM Stereo. And do also follow us on Twitter at ZFM News. Have a pleasant evening. Business Unusual, separating economic facts from fiction.